Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair. With it is. Gorgeous, salon quality, multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. My schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women. Like me. Who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Loved it. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off, plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code CRIME. CRIME. That's madison-reed.com and promo code Crime. Crime. Hey, Kevin. Yes. I have a compelling reason for our listeners to try out their subscription to Stitcher Premium right now. Okay, what is it? This week on Stitcher Premium, you and I dropped one of our Married with Podcast podcasts. Right. Yep. You made me cry on purpose. <laughs> well, I, you were already crying. Yeah, but you poked the bear. twisted the knife a little bit. You did. So if listeners, you want to hear me cry on our amazing advice show. Actually, you can't actually hear her cry. Married with podcasts. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the promo code crime, crime. At checkout, you'll get a free month of Stitcher Premium. You'll get our exclusive Stitcher Premium show, Married with Podcast, plus additional content and week-early ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories and HGTV and Me and tons of other stuff from the real, legit podcasters on Stitcher Premium, <laughs> like the folks who brought you Missing Richard Simmons and Katie Couric and- Mark Maron, Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah, good people, besides Guys, just we- us. But you should use our promo code because then we get credit for your subscription. So go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the promo code crime Crime. at checkout for a free month. And you too can listen to Kevin making me cry. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll look at the new genre-bending true crime documentary from Netflix called Wormwood. Also, we will revisit Slow Burn, Slate's truly excellent series on the Watergate scandal. So joining me now to get all that done is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and fellow Married with Podcast podcaster and host of These Are the Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. Sorry, I forgot to crack my beer. There we go. <laughs> Actually, it's just a soda, but it sounds the same, right? You know what? It would wow. only have been better if you did it in slow motion like 17 S- times. Like and that. we had to watch it over and over and I, over again. I realized at some point I was going to have to crack it and it was going to make that noise. I might as well make it part of the show. That's right. But you could, you could have done it Netflix style and we could have seen it in flashback and then in flash forward, like forward and then again. in flashback again. And then like really slow. <laughs> That's right. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and crack local investigative reporter, 
Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'm, I'm dying to know what I cracked. I, I haven't cracked much lately. Oh, we'll talk about it in a second. And okay. also with us is the author behind the City Trilogy and our favorite anti-conspiracy theorist, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, Laura, when I called you a crack investigative reporter, I was talking about the update on the story that you mentioned briefly last week when you were talking about your frozen pipe woes, your interview with the final candidate for superintendent of schools, your article today in the Seacoast paper of New Hampshire that you write for. What's the name of the paper officially, Laura? Well, it's Seacoast Online, but it covers like six local papers. It was was a crack investigative story. That final candidate was in fact rejected by. Why? I don't know. They only had one candidate. Like that was their choice, and then they rejected him. It was fascinating. It was like watching a train wreck. That's all I can say. (laughs) You know, it really went off the rails when they said, Tell us about a personnel issue that was difficult that you dealt with. And all of a sudden, this like insane, convoluted story about how he was getting in a fight with the school board who was micromanaging the new principal and the administrative assistant who was best friends with the school board chairman locked him out of his own school. Whoa. <laughs> and I was sitting in the audience as a reporter, just taking notes. And I was like, stop talking. Stop talking. <laughs> stop talking. Why are you telling the story? Just tell them about the disgruntled school nurse and how you resolve that. <laughs> That's what they're looking for. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was and and I had to wait. I actually had to wait like two hours to get the word that he was rejected. So I in my uh, sleeping bag coat, I had to sit out on the little bench with the custodians who were cleaning because it was pretty late at night. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, Laura. I came to work this morning in my big statewide (laughs) newsroom and opened up the wires and I saw town of Exeter rejects its only school superintendent candidate. It could have been worse. You could have been arrested and kicked out for speaking up. With the byline, Laura Bricker. And I was like, man, that's my co-pod. Yeah, your byline was right on there, Laura. picked up. That's hysterical. It was a big story. (laughs) Congratulations on breaking that big news, Laura. We really appreciate it. Well, it's it's a hard thing because I was, in fact, the only reporter there. So, you know, somebody had to do it. Yeah. Somebody did have to do it. Toby, how has your week yeah. been? Uh, yeah, it's been fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have – there's not been a whole lot going on. Watch some football. Yep. Uh, don't have any, like, good stories. Did you roll tide with the tide, Toby? You know, it's funny because my in-laws and my wife are more Auburn. Yeah. Because they're oh. from Alabama, right? Yeah. So, so you know, you're, if you're in Alabama, you're either Alabama or Auburn, and they're Auburn. Ah. So, you know. We don't know. They couldn't That's both lose. <laughs> we don't know. We have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know about Alabama and Auburn? No, not really. It's That's, like Yankees-Mets. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Like, if you don't just, live there, yeah. you really don't care. It's kind of like yeah, how- Yankee, how... Yankees-Red Sox, yeah, Ohio State-Michigan. Exactly. Michigan. If we have Twitter followers from Alabama, maybe you could inform Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a little something-something. We have some news about Studio C. Kevin, right here in our basement. What is that news? Well, we had a really great Patreon sponsor who sponsored us at the uh, the premium level, <laughs> very premium, the level. very premium level, and uh, you recall that, uh, and it was it's Jen, 
and Jenna was uh, really great to us, and so for sponsoring us at that level, she got to name the studio. Mm-hmm. It had previously been Square Egg Studio, and so she came up with the name- The Podcast uh, Hall of Justice. Podcast Hall of Justice. Yep. And uh, she did that for a couple of uh, uh, months, and we really appreciate it, but um, not everybody can afford the premium level. Well, pff, I can't afford the premium level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if someone out there can and they want to name our studio, we invite you to do so. Yeah, so just go to Patreon and if you want to support us at that, you'll see what it is and you can support us at that level and you'll get the naming rights or or contact us directly. You can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. It's less than your car payment. Yeah, there was actually a lot of interest the last time that the the naming rights went up. I know. And uh, Jen was first. And so, again, thanks, Jen. Uh, We love you. And she's still supporting us. Yes. um, At at Patreon. And, you know, you don't have to support us at a high level. You can can just, you know, throw... Couple of bucks in the jar every every month. We appreciate it really does. That. Actually, honestly, Patreon is what pays the bills around here. It really does. Mm-hmm. So, wouldn't it be great if some like um, you know how like stadiums get like oh like Qualcomm the or Verizon, Verizon, the Verizon Wise, Studio, the Verizon Wireless Studio. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was somebody that emailed, and we never really got far because Jen had already sort of taken it. You know, it was like I have a client who's interested. And we never sort of found out who that was. It could have been Is anybody. Is it BMW? Oh, God. I don't think BMW <laughs> wants to sponsor our studio. But, yeah, so anyhow, um, you know, so think about uh, if you'd like to do that. and you If know, you like us a lot. If you like us a lot. We'll name our studio after you. That's right. And if it's like, you know, the uh, the John Smith Memorial Studio, sure. we could do that. Sure. If it's named after your cat. The Stampy Memorial oh. Studio, we could do that. So... We, no Nazi names. <laughs> That's right. No. We're not going to be like the Goebbels the studio Goebbels, exactly or whatever. What We're not saying. doing that. But we will We will negotiate with you and, and name it after the, the corporate thing of your choice. Yeah. I don't know. What There's be... something fun. Something fun. I, I thought Square Egg was great. Okay. I thought Podcast Hall of Justice was great. So whatever. All right. Well, I have another programming announcement to make. Yeah. Next week, I'm very excited to say we are going to be talking about the number one podcast on the podcast charts right now, mm-hmm. we are going to put aside our preconceptions and put aside our biases, and we are going to review Atlanta Monster. All right. Which features an old friend of the show, Payne Lindsay, and his podcasting oh, company. So we'll probably talk about other stuff too, but we are going to be talking about that next week. Right, so, so there will have been two episodes out? I hope sure. so. There's only one now, yeah. so it's not quite enough to review. So. But we're going to listen to it, guys. We're going to do it, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to, like okay. George Michael. Right. listen to the first one. Yeah. It's I'm a, ready. It's a true crime podcast, and mm-hmm. it is the most popular podcast in America. I think it deserves our attention. I think so, too. It okay. would be weird if we didn't talk about it. No, I hope it's either really great or really shitty. Because <laughs> if it's mediocre, it's not fun to talk about. Well, the case is interesting no matter what. Mm-hmm. It really is. All right. Well, I do want to kick off the show by revisiting a podcast we have talked about before, but that continues to to really push along and is also, by the way, in like the top 10 podcasts in Is America. it Phoebe's Fall? No, it's not. It is truly, truly great. It is Slow Burn from Slate. This is an historical story of a political nature. The reporter and host behind it, Leon Nafok, brings us back to the days of Watergate and takes a look at the story from angles we haven't heard before. And I... Just so you know, guys, sent a note to um, some of the leaders in my newsroom today because we're working on a nonfiction true crime 
news-oriented podcast, which I may or may not have hinted at uh, on this show earlier in my newsroom. And I sent a link to Slow Burnout saying basically to everyone who's going to be like working on this project, editing it, whatever, listen to Slow Burn. Because I just think that the work that they're doing over there at Slate on Slow Burn is so extraordinary. So um, I just want to talk about the last couple of episodes. I think we talked about it, what, three, four weeks ago, something like that. So the last couple of episodes, um, there was an episode called True Believers, and then there was an episode that came out this week called Rabbit Holes. Mm -hmm. Now, True Believers focused on the people surrounding Nixon, who were like Nixon supporters, for whom whatever came out, it didn't matter. And that episode for me <laughs> opened with a very interesting scene uh, where Leon t- interviewed a reporter who was reporting on the story at the time who went to a bar in Queens and talked to some guys. And their take was basically, I don't care what he did. Let's just see what kind of president he could be. Just let him do his job. Um, anyone feel like that's relevant? today or familiar what, what does everyone yes. think about that that scene laura go ahead yeah i mean it's it's hard i mean i don't want to get too um to it but i i actually wrote a few notes down as i was listening to this one and one of the ones that i highlighted was the liberals who want to take down the president and i was like is this like deja vu i mean it's it's really just crazy the parallels between what's going on now and what's going on then in terms of the rabid level of support, no matter what happens, which is something we've seen then and we're seeing now. So it's, uh, you know, you think you'd learn from your mistakes, but I guess not. Laura, what did you th- what did you think of the idea? I mean, one of the things that struck me is really interesting about that, you know, the use of that story and that reporter in particular. And, you know, I'm on a Slate podcast, so I have a chance. I actually podcast with the editor of Slow Burn. So the day I listened to that, I actually talked to him. And what I said to him was like the amount of restraint that this show is using in not directly making those ties. Like, it's not saying to us, the audience, hey, yeah. pay attention to this. It's just like what's going on today. I actually find that, like, really, really refreshing. It, like, like frees me to actually hear the story and hear what's going on. Are you having that same experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I am impressed that, you know, and, and I think that it's making it a stronger story because they're telling the story of what happened then. And, you know, certainly if you live now, you can draw some pretty easy comparisons. But the way that they're telling it and that they're not getting caught up in the direct comparisons and they're really focusing on what was happening then, who was involved. I love the couple that was like, you know, they were both investigators and kind of following the progression. Was it Mark and Mindy? Not Mark and Mindy. <laughs> Mark and Mary. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 and listening to the evolution of this story from when they first got involved with it and her family was upset with her for taking part. And then as more information came out, they were kind of like, yeah, okay, we understand what you're doing. But it's it's just an incredible story. And it's, you know, for somebody that didn't live during that time period, it's certainly a story that, you know, stands up and is still extremely fascinating and compelling listening to it now. Yeah, so Kevin, that, that True Believers episode featured a couple of people that we still know or like in our lifetime knew. And one of the ones that stuck out to me was Fred Thompson. Well, that, I mean, that was sort of his, I don't want to say claim to fame. I guess it was. I mean, that's where he you know, came onto the national scene was from Watergate, and then he became an actor, and then he became a politician, and then became an actor again. 
yeah, so yeah, it's interesting because we have these these people that sort of you know bounce in and out of uh, of the national spotlight and come into this story in different ways. And like you you know you were you were saying about like how much restraint is used by Leon. I, I give him a lot of credit because I think in the first episode there was a one time he said, well, this is just kind of like today in Trump and blah, blah, blah. And the rest of the time, now, I, he hasn't overtly done that. He has pointed up a couple of things and just sort of left them there. Like the one was like, imagine if there were a tape that showed <laughs> exactly what the president did. The president committed a crime. Wouldn't you want to hear that tape? Yeah. But other than that, it, it really has sort of restrained itself from the the very – easy punch of Trump bashing. So it, it isn't that. And it doesn't cloud the story and, you know, all of a sudden make it like super partisan. They do talk about like, you know, what happened when the Republicans got involved with the Democrats thought. And so it does sort of report on the fact there was a partisan divide in the 70s about Watergate. Right. But it doesn't like make it so, you know, hy- it isn't so hyper partisan that it, you know, that it has to be like a Oh, can you believe this happened and it's happening again? And it it's just trying to kind of stay focused on the the Watergate story and just kind of let some echoes ring out. And if you want to pick them up and put them in with ha- what's happening today, you can. It is your choice. Now, Toby, one of the things that was really interesting to me about the episodes about the investigation and the Senate investigation and the Senate committee was that story about how both sides, Democrats and Republicans, have investigators like and have their own investigation. And sometimes, you know, they insist on being in the room together when they question somebody. And then sometimes they literally sneak to see each other's documents. Like there was that amazing story of that guy who was told by a transcriptionist that he should see something. And so like what he did was like stood in the door and like (laughs) the document was sitting on the guy's desk and he just like looked at it. And then that was the basis allegedly for him basically blowing up the whole Watergate thing. And then to this day, this bickering about whether or not he did it or the other guy did it. Who got Alexander Butterfield to say Yeah. So Toby, what do you think about this look at this political infighting, even when it came to the investigation, like in the Senate, that like there was also this partisan stuff on like the investigative level. How, how do you how do you feel like that they're handling this on slow burn? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's interesting. I don't I don't think that's changed a whole lot. You can certainly watch the news and see that there's like sort of parallel tracks going on in these different committees. Most recently, Diane Feinstein released the testimony of um, the guy who commissioned the Russian dossier after Charles Grassley had kind of, I, what did he, did he subpoena him? Or mm. I can't remember exactly what he did, but did something mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, for better or for worse, the way it's supposed to work, right? Is, they, is that each side goes after what its interest is, and hopefully between the two you come to the truth. I mean, I think the problem, of course, is that when it gets heavily partisan, you know, one side is trying to prove guilt and the other one's trying to obfuscate or misdirect. Right. You know, back then it wasn't it wasn't quite as clear cut, I guess. Like it wasn't always if you're a Republican, you're a conservative. If you're a Democrat, you're a liberal. Mm-hmm. So there's like I don't think right now there's any like equivalent of Lowell Weicker, who was a liberal Republican from Connecticut. And I was talking to my dad about Wright Patman, who was the. Uh, yep. Focus of the second episode. The segregationist, but right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, Democrat and he was just laughing. He's like, 
it's like it was kind of interesting that he was kind of put out as it sort of hinted that he might be kind of a liberal hero. And he was just like, Roy Patman was liberals didn't have any love for that guy. Yeah. He was a segregationist. Yeah. Things seem simpler now. Uh, in that, <laughs> you no, know, but they, the, I don't disagree the with that. The, 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 camp, the yeah. camps are drawn. If you're, if you're <laughs> right now, if, if you're a Republican, you're uh, sort of running interference for Trump. And if you're a Democrat, you're supporting very aggressive, you know, investigations. Right. They're, they're not like the crossovers that there were then where you'd have Democrats who might be defending Trump and you might have Republicans who might be more aggressive. Like even the ones who talk aggressive don't actually, you know, vote or right. support things. So I, I think it was a little more complicated back then. I agree with you that it was more complicated insofar as that, like when you hear those two guys like sort of arguing through time about who was the one who actually broke through in that interview and like uncovered everything about Watergate. Neither one of them was saying that what they found out was wrong. <laughs> they were just like so quibbling about who found it out. Yeah. Like who figured it out. And that to me what was is what was interesting is that I didn't hear, you know, like the Republican side saying like, I can't believe that Democrat investigator thinks he did it. He wasn't saying, I can't believe what he thinks he found out. Like, no, no one is disputing the facts that there was this cover up, mm-hmm. which brings us to the f- latest episode of Slow Burn, which is <laughs> all about conspiracy theories. Now, Kevin and I, full disclosure, had a little disagreement about before this episode about whether or not this was the best one or not. I thought it was. You oh, I don't th- like I, it as I much. I think Lie Detectors have been the best one. So I loved this rabbit holes episode of Slow Burn so much. And I mostly loved it, Laura, because of our friend, <laughs> Mae Brussel. Yes. Thoughts, Laura, about this woman and her crazy, crazy radio show that she had back in the day? She might not have been that crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I loved it. <laughs> I just, I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm at the gym today and I'm like, wow, this lady is just, she is not going to stop. And then I think my favorite part was like, for listeners that couldn't get the radio signal, she would record it. And send them not only the tape, but all of her sources every week. Yes. She was a podcaster, I that was Laura. Fantastic. She was a podcaster yeah. oh, in yeah. the early 70s doing on-demand audio. Yeah. Yeah. But she was an interesting character, right? Because on the one hand, I think that the podcast did a very good job of playing tape of her that showed that she was a little bit like the Alex Jones of her day. Like she would float mm-hmm. things that were insane, but then in yeah. the insanity, she would tie it together with all of this other stuff that was like a little bit borne out maybe by facts and that other like credible people like sort of supported like her whole Howard Hughes thing. Like yeah. it was really interesting, right? It was super interesting. And it was just it was super interesting in that, you know, you, at first blush, you're like, OK, this lady's a total wing nut. And then you're like, no, you know, maybe she's not. So within everything that she's throwing out there to see what sticks, there definitely was some credible information. And I think at the time that this was taking place, there really wasn't another platform to sort of throw all this information out and sort of test the waters and see what's stuck and see what might have legs and what might actually be credible. Um, just there wasn't, you know, the 24-7 media and all the different types of media that we have now. So this was, I mean, she was really before her time in terms of being able to sort of test theories in the way that she was testing them. But she definitely presented a little crazy in the beginning. Now, Toby, Leon makes the case, I think, fairly credibly that this era, the Watergate era, was the birth of the 
era of like Americans and conspiracy theories because there were a lot of conspiracy theories around it. Everyone had them. Obviously, this woman, May Brussel, was like the, the queen of that. But then as it turns out, what was uncovered was an actual conspiracy. (laughs) So sort of lending credence to the idea of like, you know, I think what later became like the black helicopter thing, like very powerful men conspiring to hold on to power over the protection and service of the American people. What do you think of this idea that like every conspiracy theory person in America is suddenly like mainstream because of this moment in Watergate? My sense is that the conspiracy stuff probably started with Kennedy, his assassination, and that this was like following in that sort of slipstream. It's like you went from having the president assassinated to Watergate and, and it really gets you, you know, concerned about about what is going on amongst the political elite, you know, that one can be killed and the other one can have this kind of off the books government, I guess. I thought the the episode was really interesting because I like hearing about that kind of stuff. I don't, it's bad. You know, I, I don't think those kinds of conspiracy things about like, she said that maybe the plane was taken down because. Mm. Hunt's plane, Mrs. Hunt. I think that, that that's harmful. And I, I think the weird thing is that these conspiracy people, if I was like in Nixon's group, I'd be like, yeah, you keep this stuff going. You know, I will help you send out all your tapes because it, it makes a case that's not true and makes all this other stuff seem it, it sort of tars everything by association. Mm. I, I like the episode. I think she's an interesting character. I think the whole conspiracy industry does some damage to our, our discourse. But Toby, I I think that one of the things that Leon does in this episode is he tries to show that, and this is something that I think about a lot, like there are conspiracy theories that, you know, are conspiracy theories. And there are conspiracy theories that end up being, they hold water, at least to some extent. And I think he does that a little bit, like he uses one, which is the Howard Hughes conspiracy. And for our listeners who haven't heard this episode, he basically like draws the lines and he says like Howard Hughes, the billionaire who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the aviator, uh, lent Nixon's little brother a bunch of money to open like a hamburger restaurant that failed. And that that whole loan thing was the reason why Nixon didn't win the presidency in 1960 and that Nixon never got over it and that his ego sort of drove him to want to find out if this loan situation was going to be used by Democrats against him again. And so that Howard Hughes was essentially like behind this all along. And this is like what the actual Senate <laughs> investigator mm-hmm. believed to be true. And Leon, I think, does a good job of saying like, I'm not saying I believe it, but I am saying there's a compelling story behind it. I mean, Toby, do you ever wonder about like the ones that have enough that there, there could be something there? Or are you just like, don't even speculate? No, I mean, I, I, but I think that's different than, you know, blowing up planes so you can assassinate one person. Right. You know, I think, was it was it this, or I might, I might have been doing some, some reading about this, where there was like a list of all these people who had died, who'd been connected to. I know that was a Mae Brussel. She had a big old list. There's yeah. one of Kennedy about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's one about Clinton. And it's like, if you're a public figure, you know, 10 zillion people and some of them die. Right. So I think there's... There's a difference between things like the, like the Hughes, which that to me doesn't seem quite as outlandish on the face of it compared to, 
you know, Bill and Hillary Clinton are personally murdering people all over the place. Right. Personally. Like like the <laughs> September 11th conspiracy stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know. False flags. I, I think there's a pretty vast difference between these things where you can draw personal relationships or monetary relationships between people and how that might affect things and there being like secret networks mm. or – you know, secret assassinations that you don't know about. I hear Laura <laughs> laughing because I, I'm just <laughs> there actually was a secret network in this situation, right, Laura? Well, I'm just I'm thinking of like the Illuminati. I'm thinking of like the preteen boys who are obsessed with the Illuminati. And it's like there's always some conspiracy theory that somebody's latched right. onto. And you know, I don't know about you, you, Rebecca or Kevin, but like how many times did somebody call the newsroom when you worked in the newsroom or have worked in the newsroom with some crazy story? That, you know, was like, again, some great conspiracy. And how many times did it did it come yeah. out to be actually true? That's true. How many times did you even look at it? Because it's so <laughs> That's nuts. true. But Kevin, how do you feel about how this podcast is handling that? Because I do think it would have been easy, even journalistically. I mean, I think about, you know, the way Sarah Koenig handled like the rumors in Serial. Mm-hmm. And she basically said there were rumors were going to pursue them. Do you think Leon drew a good balance behind like trying to let the audience know? Keep in mind. I wasn't alive in 1972. I was born in 1973, right? So he is just trying to give us the information and tell us what the atmosphere was like. And the whole purpose of this podcast, I think, is to sort of paint a picture of like the time, the circumstances, Mm -hmm. the crimes, and how it all kind of went down, Mm -hmm. the investigation. I think this episode was important because it changed the American attitude, right? No, I don't think that's why this... No. What do you think? No, first of all, I think we disagree on the importance of this episode. I think I think it's kind of interesting because it's different from the politics to talk about the crazy conspiracy people. But the only reason it's relevant at all, as he mentions in the end, was that in this case, the conspiracy was true. And so it validates all the other conspiracy theories. But didn't he also and, say and that? It like... cha- and it ended up changing people's perception of the reason people go into politics. Exactly. That's what I was going <clears> to <throat> say. That's why it was important. It turned us into a nation yeah, that but, embraces conspiracy theories. Right. But he did that in the last 10 minutes. Mm. And, you know, the other 20 was interesting. But, you know, is, is it like really like relevant to the I loved it. But I mean, I guess the idea of the whole podcast is to go in, onto these sort of different tangents and talk about all the peripheral figures. And I think that's what we're supposed to like about it. I, like I said, I, I didn't necessarily care for this part of it. It wasn't necessarily as exciting or dramatic as the other ones. But I don't know. It's something to, something about the paranoia rang true with you, Rebecca. No, it wasn't know. the paranoia. Uh, it was the characters around the paranoia. Yeah. The Mae Russell character to me was super By interesting. The way, is it Mae Russell? It's May or May Brussel. Russell, which is why her fans were called Brussels Sprouts. Yeah, but if it was May, Mabe Russell, then it, I think Brussels it's May Sprouts. Brussel. Who I knows? Think. I guess we could read the the notes. You know, you know what I kept thinking about, and please, I know that Kevin is going to start rolling his eyes and calling me nuts here, but like, this is not me telling you what I believe. This is me telling you like my perception of like a story, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you guys remember like a month ago, the New York Times came out with that piece about how there is a UFO and there was a UFO investigating uh, yeah. project that was spurred by Harry Reid from Nevada, and that was actually became a Pentagon project where they were like taking all this UFO footage and actually investigating UFOs. And, and like, you have these, like, astrophysicists and Navy pilots and everyone saying, like, no, this is actually important. It's something we should be looking at, right? And all the coverage of it, the New York Times did this, like, fairly earnest story about it where they basically just said, like, they didn't say there were UFOs. They said, this was the project. This is how it was funded. This is who worked on it. And this was the evidence they looked at. And I'm like, okay, this is super interesting because A, secretly, yes, I totally like I'm a kind of a UFO nut. But B, like, 
this is a thing that was funded, probably for different reasons. It may have been a pork barrel thing. Who knows? But you have a couple of people, namely the pilots and the scientists who are working on it, who are saying, like, this is important. This is real. We should look at it. And every single time it was covered on the news, every single time the story was mentioned, they would pan to the studio and like Savannah Guthrie or Lester Holt or Brian Muir or whatever would just start laughing. Like they would pan back from this like very like thing like this was a story uh-huh. and just start laughing. And they'd be like, be me up, Scotty, or whatever. And all I could think of was like, there is some physicist who, for whom this is his life's work, who believes this is a thing, who's actually looking at data okay, and video thanks, and evidence. No, I'm not saying that it yeah, actually are UFOs or not, uh-huh. but it's, it's it's seen as like a serious case for study, and everyone, everyone is just like, whatever. That's because it's unbelievable. Right. Kind of like the unbelievable deals you get with the quality goods and groceries from Thrive Market. <laughs> I want to talk about price point because okay. I mean everybody already knows that Thrive Market is the online healthy eating solution. They've got a great variety of grocery products that are, you know, organic or you can get gluten-free or you can filter your searches for products that are low sodium, non-GMO, no pesticides. So you're shopping your value. So that you know they've got a quality selection. But Thrive Market works directly with their providers, so by cutting out that middleman, their prices are low. So they're like 25 to 50% lower than those other health food retailers. So I did some shopping, and I got Bragg Organic Salad Dressing, you know the vinaigrette we have? I do, yes. It was 27% cheaper than the corporate warehouse. That's a lot. Yeah. Cholula Hot Sauce. Oh, my favorite. Got Cholula. On the eggs. I put Cholula on everything. 35% cheaper. I put Cholula on my toothbrush. (laughs) Well, they do have toothpaste. (laughs) I didn't pick any up, but uh, Bona Nature Organic Spaghetti, 40% cheaper. So now a year subscription to Thrive Market is $59.95, but we're going to give you $60 in free groceries from Thrive. Really? Yeah. We are? We are. Wow, we're real well, awesome. I mean, we're kind of letting they're, they're gonna go. We're working with Thrive, but yes, yeah, right, right. But so we are awesome. I talked to Josh. He said, "Okay, we'll hook you up." So it's it's sixty dollars in free groceries plus thirty day free trial and free shipping. So it, if you, you you get on uh, and get the subscription, you're already cash positive, like right off the bat, and then you can enjoy buying all the discounted groceries that you want. They're going to ship anywhere in the contiguous U.S. and their shipping is always free on orders over forty nine bucks. And the best part at checkout. You can see exactly how much you've saved. And, you know, it'll total it down and it'll say you saved. Thrive will say, hey, you just saved 80 bucks. It's like a game. Yeah. You get to enjoy and really, like, like relish your savings. That, but here's how they go, go the and next step. And you get step. great stuff. The, the, the next step, Rebecca, is that they tell you, you know, you just saved 80 bucks. Maybe you want to donate 10% of that oh, to that's charity. that's awesome. Or maybe half. Or, that's you know, awesome. You don't have to, right? It shows you, like, you're already playing with house money, so why not pay it forward? Why not? Put it in your pocket or, or do something even even better if with it. If you don't do that, you're a monster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, but it's a great idea. To get $60 of free organic groceries from Thrive Market, plus free shipping and a 30-day trial, go to thrivemarket.com slash crimewriters. Crime just, and sign up. Remember, their prices are already 25 to 50% below retail, and now they're offering $60 of free organic groceries. Go to thrivemarket.com slash crime writers. Crime writers. What else you got, Kevin? 
Well, if you want sexy AF hair like my wife, oh my god! What you'll do is you'll go and order some hair color from Madison Reed. That's right, Madison Reed. Madison Reed is the company that's revolutionizing the way women color their hair. Now, for decades, women have had two options. What are the two options, Kevin? Well, you could do that outdated home hair color. Yep. Or you could go to the salon, which is really expensive. So expensive. Right. So the founder of Madison Reed uh, created the product because she believes that women deserve better than just the status quo. So Madison Reed is the ultimate hair care hack, the quality of salon color, the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color, and ammonia-free formula with ingredients you can feel good about. It's true. Now, the other day in the kitchen, you did something weird. What did I do? Remember you came to me and you were like, run my, oh, I ran, you made me, my hair. <laughs> you made me run your, my fingers <laughs> through your hair. I did. I was like, you got to touch it. It's so soft. I got to touch it. It's great. Your hair always looks great. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't feel great, but it does after I color with Madison Reed, right? Yeah. You, you felt it. You know. I did. Experience beautiful multi-dimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door and on your schedule for under 25 bucks. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like Rebecca who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor crime writers on listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code CRIME. Crime. That's Madison-Reed.com and use the promo code CRIME Crime. to get 10% off and free shipping on your first color kit. All right. Well, before we move on, can I just do a round the horn thing? Am I the only one who's 100% definitely going to continue listening to Slow Burns? I think it's so good, Kevin. Oh, no, I am. Listening? Yeah, I'm totally in. Yeah. Toby, are you still going to listen to Slow Burn even though we have to listen to so many other things for this podcast? Absolutely. What about you, Laura? Are you going to keep listening to Slow Burn? Yeah, no, I'm I'm all over this. I I love it, and um, it's it's really fascinating. It is. It's so fascinating. All right. Well, moving on, Netflix, one of our favorite on-demand uh, television providers, continues to color outside of the lines with its latest true crime documentary. Wormwood tells the story of a son's journey to learn the truth behind his father's suicide alleged suicide, said to be connected to an LSD experiment by the CIA. Directed by Academy Award-winning director Errol Morris, the series shifts back and forth between Eric Olson explaining the twists in his father Frank's story and dramatic reenactments by an established cast, including Peter Sarsgaard and Molly Parker. Wormwood presents a crime documentary in a totally new way, but the question is, does it present it well? Now, um, I will just say the reason that we're talking about Wormwood is because Toby, me, you, we all read these like resplendent reviews of the series mm-hmm. and we're like, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of people on social media were like, get on this. That's right. And the other reason is because Errol Morris was attached to it. Right. Toby, can you give us a little bit of background on Errol Morris and why it is, it's, you know, worth watching something that Errol Morris is attached to? Uh, well, first of all, Errol Morris was a director behind Thin Blue Line, which is in the conversation for best true crime documentary of all time, yep. I think. Certainly one of the most influential documentaries. So- you know, he, he's he's really established in that way. He's he's just a very interesting filmmaker, and he does a lot of things to innovate. He did a, a movie called The Fog of War, which is where he basically interviews uh, Robert McNamara about, you know, Vietnam and World War II and stuff. And 
because he wanted to have McNamara talk directly to the camera and not in that sort of weird like documentary, like looking slightly off to the side because you can't have the camera right behind the interviewer. So he set up this thing, which was kind of like a teleprompter. But instead of the teleprompter, he'd have his face be projected and talking to him. So the camera would actually be right behind where his face was projected so that there was this sort of more intimate conversation going on. Essentially, when he makes documentaries, for the most part, they're often sort of comments on on documentary filmmaking itself. He interrogates different things that are sometimes sort of passed over or sort of assumed in normal documentaries. Uh, Like, what is an actual fact? What is an interpretation of a fact? How do you take these things that you, you you see facts, perceptions, whatever, and create like a story or or a history from that? And I just say all this because I think that at least when I was watching it, I had to have that kind of in mind. Part of it is watching the story, and the other thing is, what is Errol Morris? What 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 is he trying to get across? about the way we watch documentaries or the way we make documentaries. And so those are kind of the two things that I was looking at when I was watching it. All right. So that is a educated lens through which you saw it. I saw it through a half-educated lens. Like, I know Errol Mars is the guy behind the blue line, and that's pretty much where I started. But I also watched it through the lens of somebody who watches, like, a lot of media and a lot of stuff about a lot of interesting stories and a lot of, like, Netflix stuff in particular. And... um. I don't know. I experienced a little bit differently. Laura, um, I just want to come to you for a second. We have a very interesting premise for a story here, right? A CIA legit potential conspiracy that resulted in a man dying that was called one thing and ended up being another thing. That is, can we agree, the interesting basis for a story? Yeah, no, this is this is a great story. Like when you hear that this is something that actually happened, you're like, this cannot be real. And, and and the fact that it was covered up for so long. So it, it's it's definitely a story that needs to be told. And it's an important story. But I'll let you carry on. <laughs> but um, it had flaws in its structure. So for our audience members who haven't mm-hmm. yet seen Wormwood, there is a back and forth between these interviews with Eric the Sun in this, can we just say, incredibly depressing paneled room. Ugh. Mm-hmm. With well, the awful very clock, smart. yeah. The, what clock. the wood paneling. What, why do you think that setting was chosen, Kevin? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a good question. I mean, it it, it, uh, it yeah, it seemed like a an a, like an abandoned camp. Yeah, I mean, I, I did see or... I did see one reviewer say that that was actually the childhood home that they were he, in, but then uh, there was like the staircase. It was very confusing, right? To the, to yeah. the level was almost distracting where they were having these conversations. Well, I don't know if you were distracted by it. I, I, I maybe some people were, but I kept looking at the clock, which of course they unplug so that you, you know, you don't realize that it like this. This answer came two hours after the previous answer, but you know, I kept thinking, is there something significant about that time or? <laughs> Maybe you should just like move the clock (laughs) because it's, you know, it's obvious it's not 20 of three or whatever. Right. So I think what we're getting to is, Laura, what I think you want to say is that this was slow. Was it slow, (laughs) Laura? Did you find it slow? It was painful, like painful. I think that this was a story that could have been told in about two hours and it could have been told in two hours effectively so that you felt justifiably outraged at what happened to his father. But this endless, like, and this is going to sound sort of mean, like every time Napoleon Dynamite came on, I was like, 
oh my god he's on again in the sun <laughs> all i could think was like tina get me a pork chop but uh, you made the same comment yeah, yeah. during this you did i was just like the way that this was structured there was so much potential like you know between the reenactment the story itself the participation of family members but just the way that we had this extremely drawn out rambling story from the sun slowed the story down so much that I just tuned out and I probably missed half the story because he he would just kept talking and talking and I feel like it for me it wasn't the most effective way to tell this story in such a way that it really made an impact with the average viewer. I will say we'll talk about pacing and the reenactments in a second. I think the reenactments are a second conversation. Let's talk about Eric's version of the story. Uh, Kevin, one of the things that I, as a viewer, started to believe shortly into Wormwood is that this guy Eric is unreliable, right? I think it takes you there initially, where he's saying things and you're like, this on its face doesn't seem reliable. But then he brings in Cy Hirsch, well-known journalist who basically backs up all of his claims. And then you see all of this historical stuff about how the government admitted that many of his claims were true. And over the course of the whole series, this very questionable narrator who's draw- drawing you through this, which is the son, Eric, as Laura liked to refer to him as Napoleon Dynamite, the reasons for his upset and paranoia and wanting to continue to tell the story, they become Clear? What do you think about uh, about him as a character? I, don't know, I think I probably had a completely different. Well, what was, observation. What was your observation? My, at the end, I, a little more to that, but I, I certainly thought he was somebody who was very self actualized. That he realized some of the absurdity of the situation. He explained in a very detached academic way of his family history and all the steps that they went through between believing this and believing that and being told this. And, you know, him realizing what his long quest had been. Reenacting Hamlet? The Hamlet stuff was actually very interesting. I really... (sighs) I hated that stuff. You hated it. I guess... (laughs) I guess we see this very differently. I, I, I don't see him as an unreliable narrator other than the sense that he has unreliable information. Right. But I do think that the, the trick of the film is that as a viewer, you don't have any reliability information either until later. And so initially, I, I feel like it's a thread that pulls you through and you realize he's more credible as the story goes on, even as you find yourself getting pulled into a story that's more and more incredible. Toby, what do you think? Wouldn't you assume initially that he's crazy? And then, late, I mean, I'm just curious what, what you thought initially and then and what you thought as the series went on. It's tough. Like, I, I kind of felt like in a lot of ways, it was more a movie about him than about his father. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's really focused on his life basically stalled out. A lot of people talk like he's very smart. He's, he could do a lot of things, but he's just he's just lost in this. So in some ways, it's, it's this very kind of sad, depressing story about how his father died and he wasn't convinced about how and why it had happened and how that had kind of taken over his life. And so he is, I guess he's not like a zealot, but but that's really the focus. That's his focus. That's what he that's what he spends a lot of time thinking about and you can see like he does 
what is it like collage? Yeah, uh, he's like therapy. a Harvard trained psychologist yeah. or psychiatrist who does this collage stuff. And it's just like you, it's like what you would write if you were writing a book about it. It's like right. he has these like fragmented notions about what happened to his father, and so that works well with the collage. So that's what he's like focused on. So anyway, I, I kind of felt he sort of burns with this zealotry, and then you always are sort of suspicious of people who are that like impassioned about something that that maybe their judgments aren't going to be right. And and I think at the end I wasn't entirely convinced of his vision, but I think Cy Hirsch kind of backs it up. Sort of. In, in sort of his little All I can tell you is, you know, I you know, he's got something there, but if I can't tell you anymore because there's people's lives at stake. Right. And you know, I got to like, tell God. you, like the Cy Hirsch stuff made me crazy. It was sort of along the lines of the Gay Talese stuff, like journalists from another era. Who like are willing to tell you they have something, but but Cy Hirsch, like I'm sure he does. That's the difference. It's like he, I mean, he's an incredible the stuff he's he's broken, you know, from Milai to uh, Abu Ghraib. Like he's broken so many huge stories, and he has so many contacts that I have no doubt that he can talk to these people. But you know, him being on this. And also, I think dealing with Eric, especially in his dealing with Eric, like it's a little bit sadistic, I think. Yeah. That to basically tell him was like, I have the answer, but I can't tell you. Yeah. And again, and I was talking about this before the ad break, it brings me back to like the UFO story, which don't make fun of me. But what if, and I'm not saying it's UFOs. I'm I not won't saying make fun of you. I live in the UFO capital. I know yeah. you do. Yeah. And, all, and all I can okay. think of is when I see like trained, smart people who are like functioning in the world regularly and they have an idea that most people think is like out there, part of me is like, you know what? What if they're right and the rest of us are just ignoring it because it's funny or ignoring it because it's not whatever? Think about all the things in the history of humanity that have turned out to be like science and real yeah. that for generations people laughed at or whatever. I kind of felt like that with this Eric guy. like Because there's a conspiracy here, but it's actually it's real. And the same thing that Eric's you could laugh at all. conspiracy was real. Yes. The CIA was doing these experiments. Right, right. The government apologized for these experiments. His family was given remuneration for these experiments. And what haunts him now is what wasn't said the, because of this goes. deal. Right. The, the conspiracy is just not just the first level. It goes down another level because and another know, level. Because what was the White House that like brought them to the White House and did this whole deal? It was the Nixon White House, right? Mm -hmm. And we know what else was happening. The extent to which that administration, people in it were willing to go to cover things up, like that's kind of the subtext here, right? So let's just take the conspiracy stuff off the table and talk about style. The thing that sets this thing apart is like the jinx, it tells a real story and then intersperses it with reenactments, except unlike the jinx, the reenactments are done with named actors and like real filmmaking techniques. So we have Molly Parker, who was in Deadwood and who in House of Cards and like all these great things. And we have Peter Sarsgaard, who was in The Killing and like a million other things. Like you can look him up if you want. And these very, very, very detailed reenactments, which I'll tip my hand, should have added a lot. Laura. What do you think of these super detailed reenactments <laughs> where we would see all the stuff happening and then hear about all the stuff happening from Eric and then see it again? Well, here's the thing. You know, a lot of times when we see these shows and, and like 
when we watch true crime shows or documentaries where they have reenactments, the reenactments are super cheesy, B-rated actors, C-rated actors, and, and they're just kind of laughable. So at first I was like, oh, this is like, you know, they have things sort of authentic from this time period and they have actors who are actually actors. And so the actual cinematography was really good and the actors are really good. But the, the part for me was that it just didn't flow it was just kind of disjointed almost the way mm-hmm. that they were introduced. And I, I didn't really feel like it was progressing the narrative. It was it was just, it, and it had potential to work. It just the way that it was actually used didn't actually move the story along for me. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the reenactments were just showing us exactly what that guy Eric was saying. It wasn't actually showing anything different than yeah. what he was saying. And the other thing they did, Toby, and uh, you pointed this out to me, was they tried to show the psychedelic LSD experience in these reenactments. And that didn't work for you, Toby? That was horrible. (laughs) It's always horrible. Anytime somebody's trying to do, wow, he took LSD and this is what he experienced that I'm going to show you on film, it always sucks. Reefer Madness. So, I mean, there's so many examples, but like Easy Rider and, you know, it's it's just never, it it never works. What did you think of the reenactments in general, Toby? I felt like there were too many of them. I mean, I think what he's getting at, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but that, you know, usually when you see these true crime documentaries, there are these reenactments and often they're out of focus or they're just super general, right? It's like two people arguing in a living room and then one hits the other one with a lamp or, <laughs> or something like that. And, and so instead of like doing something kind of general like that, it's like, okay, this is like super specific. It's like she poured three cups of coffee. The martini recipe. Yeah. Yeah, shaking the, the gin martini for five minutes. Until your hand gets cold. It was it was like Steve Martin in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid where he poured coffee for like a whole two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like, so there was one scene where I was like, well, wh- where the hell is this coming from? And then they like read back this transcript about it, right? Yeah. And so I, I think it makes you, it's so specific, you do start to question like, what if this is like based on transcripts or some kind of established quote unquote fact? And how much of this is his sort of vision about the way things may have happened? And I mean, I think that's kind of the point is to sort of make you think about that stuff because I think often these visuals, these reenactments kind of blow by and you don't think about them at all. It's just like, oh, so this is this like, this is sort of a generic version of what might have happened. And in his is like, none of this stuff is going to be generic. You know, it's, it's up to you to figure out like how you want to take it. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. They kind of went like what you're saying, and I don't mean to be crude, except that I am, is balls on the wall with the reenactments. Like we're going to reenact either every single thing that Eric remembers and says or every single thing that's in the documents. And it's up to the viewer to decide because they do intersperse documents that show like so-and-so went to so-and-so's house at a particular time and this is what they said and what happened. They play the tape and then they show the reenactment. And so you as a viewer are left a little bit disoriented by is, is what I'm watching actually a reenactment. Yeah, okay. So I'll give like points on a couple of areas. One like with the collages I mean, I think interesting, that was sort of an interesting point visually for the filmmaker because he ended up using a lot of collages with documents and whatnot. Lucky for him, there were collages to use. Lucky, yes, there were. (laughs) Actual (laughs) collages, literal collages. And it got a little weird, and I don't know if it was supposed to be helpful, and maybe it was helpful when they started talking about a certain 
real life person, and they showed a collage, but it also included the actor who was play- so you were like, oh, so when you see the guy who played Warren Littlefield in Seinfeld, you know that's a psychologist, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I just think that the dramatic reinterpretations, not only did it sort of like not bring anything, it seems they were bad. They were so dull. Boring. There was no action. Yeah, They're nothing boring. happened. Yeah. You know, and and like, you know, Molly Parker has like such good face acting, you know? Or is oh, called- AKA acting. Oh, okay, acting, right? <laughs> that it just didn't seem to be utilized in any sort of way. Like, uh, I, I don't know who directed those scenes. Right. But it just um, it just misfired. What was weird to me was that the Molly Parker stuff in particular, she played Eric's mom in the mm-hmm. reenactments. But then we saw actual footage of so Eric's reenact- real mom. Dramatic reinterpretations. Yeah. Right. But then we saw actual footage yeah. of Eric's real mom, like testifying, like giving press conferences. Yeah. And in real life, she was like a spark plug. And in these reenactments... She was like paint on a canvas. Like this is when my mom picked up the cup and brought it to uh-huh, her lips, uh-huh. and this is when my mom had a little mother's little lit helper. A cigarette. Yeah. Then the guy from in the black hat from uh, Deadwood, who's right. like this. Now he's a CIA spook who's like passing messages on the cocktail napkins, and I, you know I don't know. I just I just couldn't tell whether they wanted that you to mean be Deadwood root- or Westworld. I meant Westworld. Westworld, yeah. Last week he called it Westwood. This week he called it Deadwood. It's Westworld. It's Westworld. I Black Hat guy, by the way, has been everywhere. Yeah, he's going to be in that uh, Tupac and Biggie he was just one. In yeah. a, he was just like in a Black Mirror episode that he watched. He's everywhere. I, I can't tell whether it wanted the dramatic stuff, wanted to be uh, rooted in fact, or whether it wanted to take liberties. Because mm. in, in some areas yeah. it did, in some areas it didn't. But Errol Morris is this, you know, Academy Award-winning director, and has found ways to use B-roll and other things to spice up visually instead of just a bunch of like talking heads. And in this case, chooses to use, you know, Hollywood. Right. And I don't know if that was I, credit for like doing something different, but right. I don't know if that really worked. Well, I'll say to me, some of the most interesting parts of the documentary were when we saw Errol Morris in the documentary talking to people. I really wanted more of that. When we saw Eric sitting in that super depressing, awful paneled room, just talking, <laughs> just talking, 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 talking with his like unbelievably like uninflected voice, right? It was flat and then the reenactments were also flat, so it was flat. But then sometimes it would pan back and you'd see other oh, someone else there and then you realize, oh my God, that's Errol Morris talking to him. And you see that yeah. conversation. Those are moments where like he'd just ask a quick question, like, is that what you really think happened? Or whatever he would say. And it was like that brought it a little bit to life. Like there's a second person here. I liked the Cy Hirsch conversations a lot with him. I feel like those were a little more lively. They could have been a little more help in driving the narrative. There were some very interesting details. I think what happened to the sister, super interesting. And yeah. the fact that there's so much film with the sister, like I wanted more of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot here. I mean, there's a, an interesting story, an actual real-life CIA conspiracy, which, by the way, I say, Toby, to you, screw you into not believing in conspiracy theories, because here's one. <laughs> <laughs> a big one. Yeah, in the end, it was just kind of like, I guess Cy Hirsch kind of vouches for him. So I was like, all right, well, I would normally just be like, okay, whatever. But the fact that Cy Hirsch kind of sticks up for him makes me think about it a, a little more seriously. Right. Now, Kevin, uh, if you suspected that I had been killed in some horrible way, would you dig up my body 20 years later? Yes or no? With my bare hands. <laughs> all right. That just was checking. the most disturbing part. I, I don't even know if I want to speak about this. Why not? I'm sorry, but why, why, why? 
did we have to know that his penis was still intact? Why? <laughs> All right, yeah, Why? Okay, yeah. Why was that included? Why? You're right. That was weird. That was a weird moment. Okay. It was super weird. Carry on. It was super weird. And I will say, if you are watching that episode of Wormwood, close your eyes, ears, nose holes, and mouth during that part because it is a little bit cringy. All right. Well, I yeah. think we have um, just given our general thoughts. So I think it's time to go around the horn and give uh, Wormwood a Netflix review. It's gotten, by the way, I will say again, resplendent reviews by outlets such as The New York Times, a respected outlet that looks at things. But I think what this panel has to say is probably more important than what the gray lady has to say. So, Laura Brigger, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Would you recommend to our listeners that have not yet checked out Wormwood? Should they? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Three quarters thumb down. So I, I really wish we had thumb sideways still. Sorry, Patrick. But, um, you know, I, I didn't like the way this story was told. And that's so that's why I give it a thumbs down because it was just it really should have been two hours long. It didn't it didn't work for me. But at the same time, it's a really important story to be told. So I don't want to totally discredit that part of this. I, I'm going to say between thumbs sideways and thumbs down. That's like a new area for me. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down on a Wormwood from Netflix? Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I think there's a certain type of person who would find it really great and compelling. And I, I thought of that at some times, but it, it just it's it's so long <laughs> in ways that it doesn't need to be. And... So I just, you know, I give it sort of a, a moderate thumbs down. I'm going to give it as um, Roger Ebert, God bless his soul, would say, thumbs down, way down, <laughs> uh, for Wormwood for several reasons. One, I agree. It's an interesting story that could have been told in a two-hour uh, film or a two-part documentary. I think some of the filmmaking techniques were interesting. I think the obsession with fathers and sons, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for those who continue to write me tweets and emails about this to my personal email account now. I get it. Fathers and sons. It's an interesting narrative. The angst that sons have when their fathers are gone. We know Luke Skywalker, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. We know it's a thing. Enough. This was an interesting story about a government conspiracy that killed a man that did not need to be told through this endless lens of this obsessive son. Either tell the story about the obsessive son or tell the story about the conspiracy. Pick one. Don't make it 74 hours long, which is how it felt to me when I was watching this. It got to a point in watching this documentary where I had seen Peter Sarsgaard and Molly Parker, actors I love, Sitting around a kitchen table, all I could focus on is that in the in the reenactment in the 50s, there was a syrup canister on the table. And I just kept turning to Kevin and be like, wow, there was a time in America where people felt like there had to be syrup out all the time. It obviously wasn't table. holding your attention. It was all I could do. <laughs> it was all I could do to let you hit play on the next episode. I hated. Okay. I hated this. I show. was the same way. I'm glad. <laughs> I hated it. Three quarters thumbs down is bullshit, Laura. Eight hundred. It was like going to the dentist. Down. I'm sorry. It was like going to the dentist hated without it. gas. And it felt masculine and weird to me in a way I did not like. I hated it. Kevin, what about you? I guess I hated it for like completely different reasons. <laughs> you can I, hate it. You can do whatever you want. I don't know. Your your anti father son rant. It is was a little, done well. 
Yeah. No, but well, here's the thing. No, but, but no, there, no, 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 no. But there's a legitimate Can I clarify? literary parallel wasn't done to well. Hamlet. But it wasn't done I well. Yeah, I don't know if you need to see Laurence Olivier over and over exactly. again. Exactly. But it wasn't done well. That, but but the idea of the son trying to avenge the father's murder and there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. That those are all great parallels. Not to be hit on with a hammer on the head like 750 times. Or between not. the eyes and tossed through a window. You know, we we're just talking about on Slow Burn how they never actually say, this is just what's yeah. happening in America today. Yeah. Well, in my, in, in my <laughs> review, which I will give now, is I'm a thumbs down. Um, I you know, really wanted to, to, to like it. I thought that the actual story itself was interesting, but it just misfired in so many different ways. And I think, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily back this up, but I, I think if you were to throw somebody out a 10th floor window... Mm-hmm. I think that they would survive if they landed on a Casper mattress. Oh, God. That, that seems like a claim. I, you know, it's the Casper mattress people and their legal team yes. will not back that up. And Fake. we shouldn't either. In my I heart, back that up. you cannot prove that that's wrong. It's true. That if you were to fall and just be captured in that that wonderful Casper mattress mm-hmm. that soothes cradles and cradles. your natural geometry. It cradles your natural geometry. You just might go, foomp. And fall asleep, and those uh, those CIA thugs would be like, well, we tried. We tried. But you cannot argue with Casper Mattress, especially now when they have three models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. Casper Mattresses are perfectly designed to... Cradle know, your cr- natural geometry. And save you from a... Even when it's been buried for 30 years or whatever. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> But really, Casper mattresses have the breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. Delivered right to your door in that little box. You say, hey, man, how did how did they get that big mattress? How did a mattress, mattress come in a box? Yeah, it's part of the secret. It is. Uh, and, you know, if you purchase it, you get Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Remember, you do spend one-third of your life sleeping, so it should be comfortable. That's conservative. One third? One third? Yep. Oh, yes. Well, it, the point brought home because the Casper mattress we have is in our teenage son's room. And he's going to be away for a couple of months. I'm thinking we may want to relocate. <laughs> Can I think? tell you a secret? Yeah. Um, That's just weird. I will sometimes, I don't know if you know this, go and take naps on our son's mattress. It's so much more, so much better than yeah, ours. It's so Casper much mattress. better. Is he going to listen to this podcast? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash crime and using crime at crime. checkout. That's casper.com slash crime. Use offer code crime for $50 crime. off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. What else you got, Kevin? It, it was interesting how uh, Frank couldn't get himself out of that close shave. <laughs> what? It was, it was. Do you know where this is going? I I kind I of feeling. think I do. You kind of think you do? Well, speaking of great close shaves, that's Harry's? why I love Harry's. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price, and they won't push you out a window. No, they won't. <laughs> you will not be defenestrated. Def- yes, defenestrated. I said that right. Yes, you did. Congratulations. You will not be defenestrated by Harry's, which is why over 3 million guys have switched to Harry's. A good shave comes down to good blades because Harry's owns the factory. They're able to deliver amazing quality blades for just 2 bucks a blade compared to $4 or more you're going to pay at the drugstore. And all of their products are backed by a 100% 
guarantee. Now, Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades. They're giving you their trial shave set for free. Free. When you sign up at harrys.com slash crime, you just pay for the shipping. So to claim your free trial offer from Harry's today, it's a $13 value for free when you uh, sign up. Just remember, just, you just have to cover the shipping. It's a it's a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricated strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Now to get your free trial, again, you go to harrys.com. That's Harry's, H-A-R-R-Y. Mm-hmm. S. <laughs> I don't mean shave. You would th- people might think H-A-R-R-Y. I-R. No, that's right? Harry's. Yeah. It's Harry's. Har- Harry's. Harry's. Harry's.com slash crime. Crime. Right now, that's Harry's.com slash crime. And they won't defenestrate you. Now it's time to move on to a favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. It's probably not that unusual that when police in Cartersville, Georgia, broke up a late night party, they found a small amount of... Of Mary Jane, a.k.a. marijuana. What is out of the ordinary is that the cops arrested more than five dozen people for it. Officials say that when no one fessed up to owning the less than one ounce of weed, patrolmen arrested all 63 people at the party and charged them with possession of the same bit of marijuana. They reasoned since the pot was within reach of everyone, they were all legally in possession of it. They were all in possession of it. All of the young partygoers are between 19 and 25, and many complained to the press they didn't have money to make bail. Mm. The Georgia NAACP is investigating the arrest, saying there are racial components to the cops' actions. They're raising money for the defense, which will probably be seriously This belongs to everyone, less than one ounce of marijuana. So while the 63 people are standing together, you just know that 62 of them are super pissed off at one of them, right? It's like the reverse Spartacus. Yeah, so here's my question for you guys. Uh, Laura Bricker, it looks like the whole crowd has to pay for the actions of just one person. Have you ever done anything that got a whole group of people into trouble? I have not, no. (laughs) Oh, no, come on. I, I have not. No, I, I can't think of anything, honestly. I mean, you know, the only time, and I've told this story before, was in college where I got in trouble for the actions of everybody else when I got stuck carrying the backpack full of beer and everybody else got mule. off scot-free. Yeah. This week, I did have a little situation where I got the rest of my family in trouble because of my actions where after our, like, cold snap for the last, you know, two weeks where it's been so frigid, my car was disgusting and I was in the car wash, I had managed to, you know, the new touch-free thing, I had gotten out and taken off my crime writer's magnet (laughs) to protect that before I went through. But while I was in the car wash, I realized, oh shit, my son's skis are on the roof. Oh no. (laughs) But there was nothing I could do. And and they were fine. They're nice and- They may need to be They were nice and clean. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Toby? What have you done to get a whole group of people into trouble? That happens all the time in sports practices. <laughs> like, seriously, it's just like, you know, you got to hit a free throw or everybody runs. 
You've got to do this or everybody runs. What the hell was that? Everybody run a lap. So it sounds to me like a little bit of humble brag. Toby's telling us how athletic he is. It's happened to him so many times. (laughs) So those other guys that missed the layup. I got to tell you, this has never happened to me where like I've done something that's gotten a whole lot of people in trouble, but I'm a mom, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have to read all of like the like field trip rules. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've noticed, because we have a junior in high school and a freshman in high school, and the freshman year is the year that like they go on the trip to Washington. Washington, D.C., that list of rules gets longer every time, <laughs> which you know means that one kid made it suck for everyone. So this year, uh, you know, Henry went two years ago, this year Teddy went, and one of the things in the list was children must wear pants at all rest stops. <laughs> <laughs> So you know there was oh, that one kid. You just know it. And we have photos, and it's your kid. No, it's his friend. Oh. What about you, Kevin? Um, I'm trying to think of it. There were probably a couple of times at work where there was some kitchen infractions uh, that were- <laughs> Stealing yogurts? Yeah. <laughs> Leaving dirty dishes in the sink? So, yeah, something like that that caused a freak out. Um, I'm going to go back to when I was in high school. I was a freshman, and we had Latin class with uh, Sister Agnes. Uh-huh. On the chalkboard, there were like a couple of like Latin- declensions or whatever you, you do like different verbs and somebody which would have been me wrote <laughs> because it sounded like latin uh penis erectus <laughs> on the chalkboard <laughs> and uh everybody got a homework assignment wow that's all they got i it wasn't well i don't know if it was enough for detention sister it agnes was, was nice sister agnes was about 107 <laughs> And it was like the kind of thing where you thought, you know what? Nice, Kevin. We might be able to get away with this one. Because she might not know what penis erectus means anymore. No, no. We also had we also had a history teacher, and her name was Sarge. Yeah. I don't even remember what her name was, sister, whatever it was, but it, we just, everybody was Sarge. You would not look sideways in that class. Yeah. Sit up straight. Oh, my God. But Sister Agnes... Right the next year, they moved it over to the attendance nun. You are doing so much PR for the Catholic school system right now. Good for you. All Good right. for you. That's right. All right, Laura Brecker. Before we wrap things up, is there a cat of the week this week? Yes. Um, this week, we are taking one from our Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group uh, file. We have a big album going there. People nominating their cats, dogs, bunny rabbits, chickens. Um, but this week, it is Gus. He is a tripod Siamese. What he lacks in legs, tripod. he makes oh. up for with his huge personality. Oh. He is owned by, I don't know if this is a real person's name, Rue Kerr. But he's sitting in, you know, in the Charlie Browns, like where, where Lucy is always sitting behind the little thing and she's giving advice for like yeah. five cents. Yes. So Gus is sitting in a little box with a sign that says bites five cents. Nice. <laughs> so. Gus sounds like an asshole with three legs. He's, he's raising money like. for a fake leg or something with his five cents. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker. If people want to submit their pets, cats, dogs, iguanas, birds to you for Cat Slash Pet of the Week, how can they reach you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if uh, athletes of all stripes want to humble brag with you about how they got the whole team in trouble and had to take a lap, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm totally not interested in that shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if they want to uh, tweet to you about how conspiracy theories 
RBS unless I Hirsch backs them up. How can they reach you online? Uh, they can reach you about that stuff at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if listeners want to reach out to you and commiserate about Catholic school experiences, <laughs> how can they find you? I am at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also check out my other show, HGTV and Me. You want to check out this week's episode because it's all about ugly Americans on House Hunters International. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On. Join the fine folks at the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, subscribe now to get exclusive ad-free content from our team at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. You'll get a free month if you use the promo code crime and you'll also get married with podcast. Our secret show, only available on Stitcher Premium. If you love the show or any of our other shows, please tell a really smart social media connected friend about it. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble. Our show is recorded in the currently known as Studio C, a.k.a. the closet in our basement where we hang all of the creepy collages about our past that we make. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Now, for decades, women have had two options. Keep it or it. <laughs> oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Kevin, remember when I made you touch my hair in the kitchen? Yes, it was weird. That's because Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women like me color their hair with gorgeous, salon quality, multi-dimensional hair color delivered to my door on my schedule, and it makes my hair feel so good. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like me who have tried... Touching your hair right now. I can feel it. And who love Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code CRIME. Crime. That's madison-reed.com and promo code CRIME. CRIME. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.